0: With someone beside you to share the oh, low, life is still a high. With someone to start and someone to try, life's like a leg of lamb. With someone there to lend a hand, life's a bunch of cards. With someone to while away the hours, life's a fill of the face, hey. yes it is. Life's a happy song. We need oh! someone by your side
1: to sing along. Bonjour, je m'appelle Marguerite. And this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barber Golden Podcast, Episode 60 for May M-M-X-I-I-I. Episode 60 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Stay
0: with me! I'm on your let like clue All right! Hi, guys. Can I skate with you? Nah, you're just a girl. No kidding! Go, Go low. low! Let her try. You might be surprised.
1: Okay, but
0: thanks wow look at that (laughs) don't judge people till you give them a chance
1: because there's a chance you could be wrong now we
0: know and no one is half the battle g.i. joe
1: Batgirl to oracle is also brought to you by milehighcomics.com your new and collectible comic book store Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold Silver, Bronze and Modern Age and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the price you may encounter are July's Batgirl number 22 and Birds of Prey number 22 both for $2.69. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great monthly subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, thank you, Marguerite, for uh, introducing our latest episode in that manner. I hope you have found our new feed and you are here. I'm a bit concerned, actually, that people have lost it and they don't realize they need to go into iTunes and re-get that feed, the new one, or... They're just ready to give BTO up, which I hope it's not true, but uh, yes, please uh, tell your friends, tell your family to go onto iTunes and get that new feed, uh, just so you're not missing the latest BTO. Well, not much news here besides the uh, changing feed. Thus, Kimberly does, in fact, have the, the morning off, though Marguerite did not tell you guys that. Something odd that happened, of course, was the delay of Batgirl number 20, where you would expect it to be in that, I guess, second week of May, and it just didn't happen. And, of course, you know, the... thinking is well dc said there weren't going to be any delays so hey what's up with that um many people may blame Gil simone and you may in fact think that i'm about to blame Gil simone but i feel like as a writer you need to have several things already in the bag ready to go so i actually think that in in this particular instance probably was not her doing the only thing is i mean if if there was some sort of last-minute change, maybe the Batman universe had such an impact on, <laughs> on what went down in number 19, sort of that review over there, that maybe she decided to change some things. But it's actually the introduction of uh, the Ventroquist, so it doesn't really have any bearings on what happens in this issue that we're about to review here. So, who knows why it was late. Let's hope that it's not wait again. I mean, to be honest, I, obviously, I'm not enjoying it as much, so I don't care as much. You know, May is crazy, and the reason why it's crazy is not only because school is wrapping up and, you know, I've got all these extra duties you gotta do, but... All the movies, all the awesome movies that are coming out. So Iron Man 3 is already out. Have you seen it? I happened to go see it the the night before at, I think it was 9.30 p.m. So, you know, I love my midnights, but it actually worked out since I did have to go into school the next day. Yes, I very much enjoyed it. I think it was was better than two, definitely, but I I think number one is still the peak. It's still the top for me of the trilogy. For me, I think it was trying to be too funny, and Robert Downey Jr., he's already sort of comical, and he adds something to that character, and Tony Stark does have this uh, sarcasm to him, but Tony Stark is also a tragic character, so I think if you try to really overdo it, if you try to make him a Johnny Storm or a Deadpool then it doesn't really it's just it was too much for me because I think it was a really serious story and there were the serious moments but I just thought there was too much comedy and they tried to make it too funny and I think uh, the first one had a good level of it so that was my main I think complaint there I actually haven't read the Extremis uh graphic novel or the storyline and I'd be interested to see how it holds up with that because I'm sure there are some differences but overall I mean it was an enjoyable thing and And someone told me, you know, it wasn't worth waiting towards the end of the credits to see what happened there. And no, it wasn't, you know, a a, a little sneak peek of what's to come. But I I think it was still, it was fun to see Bruce Banner giving, or maybe not really giving, advice to uh, Tony Stark. Of course, Doc Samson would have been the one to look for because he's the guy with the... uh, the degree in psychology so you've got that star trek is already out into darkness i have yet to see it i'm going to see it memorial day weekend my goal right now is to watch all of the old star trek movies which really i've seen some of the next generation ones like first contact uh, with the borg and uh i think insurrection but the old ones haven't really i think four my family randomly has that on vhs and so i've seen it before and i remember whales and water and things like that but i currently am on i just finished five so i'm on six so that's sort of when the original star trek ones end and then i'm going to get into the next generation so i'm hoping to make it and then i'm also fast and the furious six and people if you've been around i was in high school when the first one came out I remember seeing it with my brother when he was on leave. And just think back then, did you ever think there were going to be six of those? It's it's really amazing. Uh, they, and they've already got, like, pre-production going for seven. It's just, I I don't know. It's so ridiculous. But they're so fun and enjoyable. Um, and, of course, I'm a big fan of uh, the Vin Diesel. But I'm also hoping to watch all those, those movies. I almost call them old. But uh, I watched... I'm on 4, so hopefully I can watch 4 after I record this. And what's up after that? Superman in June already went. How did you guys feel about going to Walmart? (laughs) Because my thought is, you know, if I'm going to buy a movie ticket, I'm going to go to the movie theater. But no, you had to go to Walmart on a Saturday. It started at 8 a.m. And, of course, I'm freaking out wondering if there's going to be a long line in my town. Luckily, there wasn't. So I got to happen in there and purchase my, my one ticket, which they were very doubtful that i was only get. I, I i didn't really know why they thought i was going to get more than one ticket but they asked you know how many tickets do you want and i said one only one and then it takes them a while to get to the 2d because i don't really like 3d as much and then they try to sell me they say two right no one i mean apparently i'm supposed to go with somebody if i'm a girl going to see a superman movie uh but i'm looking forward to that so that'll be the day before i guess at 7 30 so again an early one and then Wolverine's coming out, and I kind of want to see or read the book that it's based off of, the Frank Miller story, and I think it's going to be a totally different Wolverine movie, um, and I'm afraid that people won't enjoy it as much, just because it's not going to be as comic booky because you would expect, like, really well known characters but this is really more steeped in the wolverine mythos and you've got like silver samurai and it's more involved with his past rather than things associated with the x-men so i think it'll be harder for people to relate to but i'm still looking forward to that and i'm hoping i'm hoping that san diego comic-con 2013 this year that we can uh with my peeps we can either see wolverine or uh, the superman movie man of steel all like we did spider-man and i think that's it i mean that's just may is like bam 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 <laughs> and uh it should be well oh, if my pocket can take it it should be interesting but it's winding down and i'm i've been it's been really stressful uh just with all of the things that i've had to do but s- slowly each of the stresses are sort of um going away so very cool i'm also thinking about something i don't know if it's going to happen in the summer which of course is coming up but For a few months, I would like to have just random co-hosts and really just receiving submissions from you guys out there would you like to come on just for an episode and and co-host bto and you know i've i've got the the comics that you would have to read and everything it would just be uh you and i and we'd be talking about the different issues old and new and i think it'd be fun just to get different people out there regular you know normal listeners onto the show so i'm not sure when that's going to start but just an idea that i've had so you can always write in if you're interested and and i will save your email and everything but you know san diego is on the horizon and that is always stressful and nerve-wracking just because you don't want to let the man down you don't want to let dustin down but it'll be great to see josh and donovan again so that that certainly is my highlight and then of course my good friend kevin i will get to see as well so i guess that's all So yeah, write in if you're interested in in guesting for an episode But let's just move on to these uh, Well, you know they're going to either be wacky or crazy Are they ever really normal? Who knows? Uh, But first up, we've got Detective Comics number 494, The Lesser Evil September 1980 is the cover date Writer Carrie Burkett, penciler Jose Delbo, inker Frank Chiarmonte, and letterer Milk Snappin, and of course colorist Gene D'Angelo. Also included in this particular issue of Detective Comics was The Crime Doctor Calls at Midnight, uh, which was the first Earth-One appearance of The Crime Doctor. And this features Batman. Tales of Gotham City featuring Flip. The Hazing Homicide featuring Robin, and Explosion of the Soul featuring Black Lightning. This story begins with Batgirl and the Kamish outside of an interrogation room where the police are grilling the suspects that Batgirl picked up outside of the apartment fire. Unfortunately, no one is admitting that they are employed by Boss Vance, though Batgirl is certain that they are a part of Vance's underworld syndicate. Gordon knows why Vance would want to torch that building because it belongs to Ray Bueller, a gangland leader who is a bitter rival of Boss Vance. Batgirl goes off in order to find some proof and makes her way to a garage owned by Jeff, a grease monkey whom Babs has known for a long time, and as Batgirl she houses her bat cycle in his garage. Becker goes across town to the neighborhood where the fire took place and changes into Babs Gordon in order to visit the little girl whom she rescued from the fire, the one that was paralyzed because of the trauma she experienced slash witnessed at the hands of the Colmarant. Babs has in fact kept track of the family, not creepy at all. Uh, which is now staying with relatives around the same neighborhood. The father thinks it kind of Babs to check up on his daughter, but he doesn't really understand where her interest lies. She pulls the I work for the social service department of research and development card and apparently it gets her by. Tracy appears and initially thinks Babs is another doctor trying to make her walk, but Babs comforts her and they're there, they're there and befriends her. After a time, Babs leaves to go back to the office and passes the Winston Theater with protesters once again outside. Suddenly, some hoods attack the protesters. Babs changes and beats those hoods down. Then overhears one of the protesters running away and saying that he did not get paid enough for this hurtin'. So she lets the hoods go, which I don't know why she would do that, and gets the coward that's running away just wanting some answers. Apparently a shady fellow in, well, shades, offers money for anyone to carry a sign for a couple of hours. That girl tracks shades to the home of Ray Bueller, the underworld boss who owned the building that was burned. She uses some binoculars and world-class lip reading to see that Bueller paid the protesters in order to attract attention to the theater. He knows that this is the last thing Vance wants because it might make the city council take another look at their new housing plan. The pieces come together and Batgirl goes to Vance's house and searches his study, finding a copy of the city's original plan for new housing, wildly different from the one that reached her desk. This plan has no mention of tearing down the theater to make room for the housing, but calls for the closing down of several shady businesses in the area, all run by Vance. Vance must have paid a bribe, but her thinking is interrupted by Vance in a robe and with a shotgun. As he explains why he burned one of Bueller's buildings, to give him a message, of course, Batgirl talks some Batman-like courage into herself and goes for the gun before he can get a shot off. Later, at a meeting at the HRD, Babs proposes the council to follow the original plan. Everyone congratulates her on her investigative work, but she knows it's not a victory yet, since Beeler is still out there. Later, we see Beeler receive a note signed by Baccarol that warns he is next. Well, I felt like we were missing a lot between issues here. Um, but it's all somehow resolved by the narration boxes and, of course, the Commissioner telling us about the Gang Lord. Was this just a more expedient way to cut to the chase, leaving out important information? Who are these Vance and Bueller characters who seem to be crime bosses that we know about but we don't really know about? I mean, the last crime boss was the General that we had and we're, there are so many crime bosses feel like we need a map of Gotham City to see what it is like and and where the divisions lie. But how does this connect back to the jerk at the office is my question as well. Is he involved in this? Because if you remember, he was really dead set against this plan going through and that just seems like a very random thing that happened now that we are going along and along in the storyline it's not a good idea for Batgirl to be calling out dad or saying goodbye dad um, when it could be overheard by anyone as she sort of jumps out the window and says goodbye I <laughs> you think she would have learned I wonder where this Jeff character came from, if Babs has known about him for years. Why does she want to use his garage if she still has that secret alleyway hide-o- hideout where she was storing her bike um, back in the 70s? I remember a particular storyline with a, a drive-by shooting. She runs off, and she gets her bike, and she goes. Who knows? And then we've got this Stacy character. You know, this little paralyzed girl, she continues to be... Sort of a mainstay character in this particular story With several doctors visiting her Yet her paralysis remains And then Babs just decides to befriend The girl and the dad Seems mighty fine about it A little hesitant at first But then he's okay So even if Babs is from a social service department I'd be a little hesitant about a stranger Hanging around my child Sort of out of nowhere Uh, That could just be me I mean I have no That was a hypothetical child But hey I'd be a little concerned back in the old days it seems like uh, crime bosses were probably harder to locate but you know here babs is easily able to find vance just by i guess looking up on yellow pages who knows how she finds him but there he is And I also wonder why criminals are always so eager to talk, because Batgirl asks one question, and Vance spills everything, and I think this is sort of a gag that that runs throughout, and I feel like it just happened in a Batman Beyond issue, where Shriek just sort of lays out the whole plan, it's, I guess it's a way to brag or be egotistic about, you know, thinking that they've gotten away with it, but it didn't work, and again, you know, you should probably just stop talking i love the movies that are, that are just completely out of character and there is no talking and of course the protagonist is a little caught off guard because they needed that extra time but uh, anyways you know i guess this particular bad guy was just confident because he had a shotgun in his hand But, you know, speaking of this gun here, you know, Babs is still slightly gun-shy after the previous story, and we saw her trying to get past it in the last issue, but I'm happy that she's actually working through her fear and taking control of the situation, even though it took several panels for her to actually talk some sense into herself and and go after the gun, which, of course, it could have gone wrong, but it worked out. At the office, Babs is easily able to get the original plan back on the table, but I do wonder, you know, how does no one ask where she got this copy what shady individual was paid off if she ends up telling them everything. How about Barton and his role in all of this? There's just no question. They just sort of readily accept that she investigated it and and it all worked out. And I kind of wish I knew what the tale was and how she explained away Batgirl. I like the note at the end from Batgirl. It's definitely a Batman-esque touch. Do have a problem with her outside of the theater just saying, well, I'll let them go or, you know, they got away or they're going away the perps just to catch that one guy you would think at least she would wrap up i mean he did not look athletic so i feel like she could have wrapped up the other people and then gone for the wuss basically in order to uh, question him but instead she just lets the other people go so this turned out to be an okay story the second part could have made it a great story I think because I think it was certainly stronger but there are just too many leaps and skips in the story to make it start and end quickly and neatly and I don't really like that as much I would like it to be fuller make it make sense unfortunately some things are lost in the flurry of it all new character entrances especially I like seeing Babs and Batgirl's strong character again. It seems she may be a sort of mentor as well, uh, what with this little paralyzed girl. So we'll see what happens there. Is this some weird freaky foreshadowing of what is to come with Babs? Because, of course, we know her fate, who knows? It seems equal time is spent in and out of the cowl. And it's nice to see some investigative work from Batgirl as well. So I give this 7 out of 10, bats. So we're going to continue on this thread, this particular story, and Detective Comics 495, the story is entitled Boss Man's Bane. The cover date is October 1980. Writer Carrie Burkett, penciler Jose Delbo, inker Frank Giamonte, letterer Ben Oda, and colorist Jean D'Angelo. Also included in this issue were murder in Quicksilver, featuring Batman, Into the Fire featuring Runner Perkins, Animals featuring Black Lightning, and The Gotham Connection featuring Robin. The story begins in the middle of the action, Horace would call it, in Medias Race. inside of a liquor store where two hoods are demanding protection money. Batgirl pops in, taking out one hood with a batarang to the hand and throwing some vintage wine at another gunman. Batgirl gets thanks and takes away the two men, hoping they lead her to Bueller. At GCPD, Gordon explains that they, like all the others Batgirl brought in, will not talk and they are no closer to nailing Beeler. Batgirl is determined and Gordon takes her into his office and tries to talk some sense into her, telling her to calm down because she has been driving herself too hard. Batgirl says she can't give up now that Beeler is running around with no other crime boss to oppose him. I don't know if that's true, if we've already encountered three in the span of a few months she leaves with gordon telling her to rest and asking whether this has anything to do with little tracy she knows he is right and perceptive perceptive as all fathers are as she changes to babs in the alley she thinks about tracy her tragedy her work and starting to walk a little and perhaps babs even feeling like tracy is the daughter she'll never have if only the father weren't so dreamy Across town, someone is looking at photos of Babs with some man and saying that he has evidence that Barbara Gordon is a murderer. Then at HRD, Babs is thinking when Richard appears with tickets to the new historical exhibit at Gotham Museum, she turns him down because of her duties as Batgirl, (laughs) and Richard thinks that she is not interested in him. Later, Barton walks by and makes a short comment about her not working. Such a great guy, that guy. That night, Backrow checks out the files in GCPD and looks up Norman Shades, Cosgrove, the right hand of Bueller. She finds him at a pub, follows him to his apartment, waits for him to sleep, and sneaks inside in order to get his book of all the meeting times he has. Shades wakes and points a gun as Batgirl flips through the book. She leaves as he fires the gun, leaving the book behind. Babs uses her photographic memory to recall the next meeting info, gives it to her dad, who then sets up an inside trade drugs for money with a tracer attached to the money at the meet with Shades. Shades takes the marked bills to Beeler, who then takes the money to his nightclub where he launders the money. At Beeler's office in the nightclub, Gordon enters with Batgirl and a search warrant, hoping to tie Beeler with the drug trade in the neighborhood. Unfortunately, after a long search, they find that Beeler is clean. An angry Batgirl notices Beeler's car parked outside, which strikes her as odd, and searches it since it falls under the search warrant. She finds a seat too far up for a tall man like Beeler. moves it back, and finds a secret hollow with the money. Beeler cries, frame up, uh, but the fingerprints, of course, will hold. As Gordon congratulates Batgirl on a job well done, taking Bueller out of action and linking him to all of his rackets, she wonders how many Buellers there are out there that she will never get. So what does it mean to have a yellow streak down one's back? It's actually a tendency for cowardice. This was a phrase that I encountered in the beginning of the story, and I looked it up. So there you go. If you're reading along, you're wondering what that is. I like the comment about the wine being from 1969 and that being a a very good year, since it was a very good year, Uh, since it was the year that Batgirl first appeared. That's great. It's interesting that Batgirl is is somewhat acting like Batman when he really is committed to something or something bad happens. She's really intent on nailing Beeler um, and this just sort of reminds me of how he acts after Jason Todd dies, Hush, things like that. I'm of uh, and we could I guess throw in after Damien dies as well. I'm really surprised she hasn't gotten any of the thugs to talk though. I mean perhaps she needs to play more Batman and, and use fear tactics. But out of all of the thugs that they've gotten they, they haven't gotten one person to talk shocking so now Babs feels really close to Tracy this little girl who's paralyzed and she feels responsible for her I'd feel concerned for her too since her father moved her from one bad neighborhood right to another but again we're skipping time Tracy can apparently walk a little bit so I guess she's been undergoing a lot of PT physical therapy and Babs feels so close to her it's almost as if she were her daughter is this too much i ask you should babs be getting this close to someone who was harmed and could be harmed again because of her life as batgirl and now the father is really attractive oh dear wasn't he the one who yelled at you and blamed you for everything oh good god she's got to get some sense into her i feel like this is no i i maybe they're just opening the door for more romance and she's no longer has the senator cleary she doesn't have jason todd dick grayson not so much of course so who knows such a random scene with the man studying a photograph and declaring babs is a murderer what i mean where did that come from and where is it going is this something we'll see in future issues or little snippets along the way building because that's I mean, out of everything I feel like I've read, this was the most out of nowhere thing that happened. Let's add even more romantic drama with Richard asking Babs out, Babs being unable because of row and Richard thinking he's not good enough, and then let's of course also continue p- to portray Barton as a jerk, so same old, same old. and I'm not really invested in Richard as a romantic interest or as a character, so whatever happens there is fine, but... I guess we have to care about him since they're writing it in there. Batgirl says she never gets to go into the records room at GCPD, but this is probably the third time that I've seen her there. So unless my eyes are deceiving me. And then just as many times, she always has to mention that she's got a copy of her father's key. So I guess this is for new readers or exposition purposes. And how did she know what file to look up? This is just like in the previous issue. How did she know where to go? How did she know which file to look up I mean this was before all of the tech That Oracle could have had I mean all she knew about this guy This Shades guy Was that he wore shades And maybe that was his his nickname But I mean you gotta go through everything But she went right to that file To look up his name It seems a little reckless Coming through Shades window While he's sleeping In order to search in the same room In which he is sleeping Why would you do that That's foolhardy And then Shades He sees someone in his window He says I caught you out of my eye His back is to it in the art So either he saw it when he went to bed Which I guess is a logical thing Or if I just continue on this path It doesn't make sense Or he's got Eyes in the back of his head, which reminds me of a Doug episode where, um, Nope, Vice Principal Bone is in the hospital, and Doug Funny has all these crazy dreams about what sort of reason he's in the hospital. And one of them was he, like, is facing the window and he unwraps bandages along his head, and he's got two eyes in the back of his head. It was bizarre, but it sort of reminds me of that. Babs continues to get shot at, um. <laughs> my gosh how how is this i mean it's probably all i feel like maybe i'm zooming in on it now because she's had this this fear cuz she got shot before but now it's like every issue she's getting shot at there's a gun that's popping up either dc is very violent which you know it is or they're really yeah they've got this gun focus here it this also makes me very nervous since we're getting closer to the killing joke But who knows? Photographic memory to the rescue, that's great. It's also great for plot purposes, I suppose. You'd think Shades would be smarter about the whole book incident, even if he still has the book, which he said, you know, at least he didn't get away with the book. He should assume that Batgirl saw something in there, and he should change the next meeting place. If I were a bad guy, that's probably what I would think about doing. Man, when you were reading, did your head spin about where the money was going? It's like this trail. I mean, Batgirl must have been following Beeler a long time to know all of that, and we readers never saw a thing. What a lucky thing that Beeler's car is right there by the entrance of a Beeler's nightclub. But why is that odd? I mean, it all turns out okay because Batgirl conducts a search of the car and she finds the money, but... Isn't it a little ridiculous how tidy this all wraps up? Are marked bills transferred over enough uh, to get someone arrested? Where were the drugs? What if the car was never there? How would that have changed the story? Like, I don't think it's that strange of a thing to have this car outside of the door, so it's very odd. How does having Bior out of the action give the police a chance to link him to all his rackets? Just so many questions that... uh, I don't know. You think it wraps up nicely with the money being found and being put away, but I feel like this neat ending actually pulls out more questions. I... So this story, you know, like the last one, it's got some good crime elements and makes for a good cop story. And I think this is definitely the genre that uh, the Batgirl stories have been leading into. But there's so many gaps uh, that I think are, are forgotten merely to meet the page count. I just, I don't know, some things do not make sense. I just want a really good mystery tale. You know, some of those that in the past, you remember them, where they were. There were several parters, and they would actually beg the question, or they would ask you, readers, did you figure out what Babs has figured out? And then you would. There's a possibility of knowing what the answer was, and then Backer would properly explain it. But it's it's like all these explanations have sort of gone away, and it's it's sad. Plus, there are all these guns, so I'm afraid Babs is going to get shot again. I give this six out of ten bats. Well, I'm going to take a break and, of course, give you a break as well. And uh, when I come back, I will review backroll number 19. Let's see how this goes. And Birds of Prey number 19. But first, we have Zias' Radio Hour. And it's a bit of a heavier song. I heard it on the Daredevil soundtrack. And I thought instantly of backroll facing her brother. So it is Won't Back Down by Fuel. See you soon. you survived Zias' radio hour there are some times that i put some heavier things on there and i wonder what people think of some of the musical choices i sometimes get comments on them especially if they're they're sort of oldies or vintage um so i I just wonder if it's also broadening people's listeners horizons and they're going out to itunes and, and trying to find what these these music choices are but i always do try to fit them to what is going on there are some ex- exceptions sometimes, just if I've found like a fun song and I want to put it on. But for the most part, I try to match them up. Well, let's get into it. I guess prepare yourselves, especially for this one. Batgirl number nineteen, a blade from the shadows. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Daniel Sampere, inkers Jonathan Glapion and Mark Deering, and colorist Blonde. Babs reflects on watching horror movies with James when they were younger. Bonding, as she called it. The scarier the movie, the better. She thought he was afraid, but she was wrong. So very wrong. She should have been afraid. Two hours ago, Alicia is watching the same movie and comes to the door with a bat to find Babs asking to come home. Alicia says, say what? You let me in the kitchen with bad guys. No way you coming home. And yet she uh, drops the bat and lets her come home. Babs tells her about being shot in a home invasion joker, being in a wheelchair, her crazy brother, etc. Is bonding, bonding. Babs tries to scare her off, and perhaps Alicia does the same thing, or tries to do the same thing, by telling her that she is transgender. They both pass the test. And uh, Babs tells Alicia she loves her. Later, Babs suits up and goes looking for her brother. At GCPD, Gordon gets a call from James, telling him to come to the old aquarium. Oh, and uh, he killed some of his cops. Later, at the Gotham Bay Aquarium, Babs Sr. shows up and James taunts her about the finger, which she apparently tossed into a dumpster behind a big belly burger. Batgirl jumps in right in time, putting herself between Babs Sr. and James. James becomes angry, thinking that Babs Sr. chose this place to meet because it was the last place she saw her son smile. He won't be forgiving her. As he points a gun at her, he reveals that Batgirl is Babs. I guess Mom already knows as she pulls a gun and uh, shoots James. Now, Babs uh, chastises her mother for this, of course. No, 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 don't shoot the bad boy? James somehow disappears into thin air, and Batgirl notices there's no blood trail when James comes up behind her with a mallet and smashes it on her head, cracking the shock plate in her cowl. She's about to black out as two James, double vision, is, uh, telling her what he plans to do. Batgirl has had enough and goes after James finally through with all the darkness and ready to be an only child. James says she will never be free of him. He then goes into a monologue, explaining that it is all because of perfect and brilliant Barbara. But somehow, this also connects to making Bab Sr. suffer as he holds a knife to her throat. Batgirl throws a batarang, which hits him in the eye. My eye! Pushing him backward to the edge of the boardwalk, breaking his back... (laughs) Potentially, and falling through uh, to the water below. Backrow tries to tell herself that she tried to help him. Her mom set the trap. She knows he'd go on killing, blah, blah, blah. Then uh, the Commissioner Gordon arrives, threatening to arrest Backrow for the murder of his son, which apparently he loves so much. He fires his gun as she jumps off the boardwalk. Next, the ventriloquist takes center stage. <sighs> Where to begin? You know, as a, a fun side fact, did you see the random tennis ball in the living room? Is Alaska the cat able to play fetch? And who had time to make cookies? Wasn't it Alicia, the one who was freaking out when Bad Senior was making muffins or baked goods of some sort in the kitchen? Who knows? <sighs> So I think the word that I used When I was reviewing this at TBU Was forced No, contrived was the word, wasn't it? It contrived This is perhaps The worst issue of backroll That I have read And I think I said that about something with Grotesque before But now we've hit a new low And I think this may have been The first issue that Gail Simone has been back Which is unfortunate Yeah, so here we are I'm going to start, get it out of the way with the really rough topic and I just want to say no intention of insulting anyone. Okay, so just imagine this is coming from someone who's going to plead ignorance on 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 the topic. Alicia confessing or I guess not admitting that she is transgender. I have a big problem with this. Not the fact that She is transgender, I would say, um, because, remember, if you recall, you know, one of my favorite couples that's going on because it's written so well is, in fact, Maggie Sawyer and Kate Kane. So, it's certainly not that, but it seemed so forced or contrived. Just reading it, and that, you know, Batgirl, or Babs is, is... admitting all this stuff this tragic stuff and then alicia says there's been something i want to tell you for a long time i'm transgender it just felt like simone was trying to make a checklist and she needed she had that lgbt in her career and here's the t it's coming out and she needed one of those letters to be in this back row book or else you weren't going to call her gill simone I mean, this is obviously coming from a different perspective here, but anyone could can use i uh, i there are, are there words I feel like I was probably more well spoken on t b u but seriously, I feel like there's gotta be some heart and emotion to this whole thing, and it it's so much better to see sort of the struggles of the character before they lead up and and gives that sort of testimony there i mean even in batman if you're reading batman you've got um the, the brother and harper Row, and the brother there is gay and and you see harper and she tries to protect her brother because of course he's he's experienced some violence just because of that lifestyle and you actually learn about her character through how, you know, she protects and and loves him. And, I mean, wouldn't it have been very different if we, from the beginning, had learned, perhaps, about this or had seen Alicia and maybe some of her struggles on the side and, and known about her story, but instead it's just thrown out there. Like, check! Got a transgender character in there now. And... You know, there was a lot of talk, I think, on TBU about the response, the I love you response, and and I think it's, I mean, I think it just shows that Babs is an accepting person, and I don't know if I necessarily would say I love you to a roommate that, I mean, I guess... It's it's been a weird roommate situation anyways with those two so maybe she does love her but it seems like they don't know each other well enough but you know i just ask you like how did you feel especially if you are a part of you know the lgbt community because this i'm coming from a different perspective so maybe it's just me but i would love to hear from you guys and and this was an offer that i made over the tbu and i definitely want you to I, I want to renew the offer just to write in. And even if you want you know, the statement to be read uh, anonymously, I can certainly do that. But did you feel like it was contrived? Was there any heart in that admission that I'm transgender? Because it was just spoken. There's like not even a beat. I love you. There's a hug. And then she goes off to work. We, we can't even, even as readers, we can't sit and contemplate what has just happened. And I remember when i think donovan texted me he said alicia is transgender and i either said in in text language or linguo sigh or rolls eyes because seriously i don't know if it were built up in a better way it would have been great but i think this falls flat and and it, it it bothers me so again not the fact that she's transgender but just how it came about i think the writing was really poorly done and so if there's any of you out there that would like to comment on that if you disagree with me then please do or if you agree but you know just write and I'd love to hear from you I (laughs) yeah, the biggest thing is definitely the writing and, and just that it's contrived James Jr. getting the drop on those cops (sighs) Such a detail, I guess, but it sort of annoys me because shouldn't they have pulled their sidearms before he beat them with a bat? I feel like a bullet is is swifter than a baseball bat. So I have an issue with that. Um, The finger thing. So he explains that he threw it away two blocks from the hospital and he thought it would have been funny if he came in and gave it to the doctors because they could have reattached it. So this blows my mind and maybe it's just a detail and I should say Stella don't worry about it but Simone was the one who wrote Death of the Family Batgirl had the finger in a plastic baggie with ice how did James get it in the first place that was a question I asked a couple episodes ago and then remember he's using it as a stylus on like his PDA or phone or whatever so this two blocks from the hospital comment doesn't make sense at all either Simone is making it seem like he had it all along and then he came back two boxes in the hospital and threw it away or he left the hospital right away and threw it away which doesn't make sense with everything else that went on it just blows my mind the inconsistency like little details like that can it, like can you not recall the finger is a pretty big thing actually if it were something else I guess I could potentially understand even though I'd probably still pick it apart but this finger Aha So, consistency, I would love it. I wonder where uh, Bab Sr. got the gun. She doesn't seem like the person who would have a gun. I I mean, I guess if if your son is threatening to kill you and you know there's going to be a meet-up, then you're going to have one. But, uh... (laughs) It's just she pulls it out of her jacket out of nowhere. Did she find a street vendor and he give it to her? Oh my gosh. Um, how did James suddenly disappear? That's ridiculous. Like, poof. I mean, there's just one panel where she's talking to her mom and telling her, you're dumb, you shouldn't have done that. And then he's gone. And then, oh, oh my gosh. Then he has superhuman strength, apparently, because he takes the mallet from the test your strength thing and cracks her her cowl i just i don't believe it at all like how you're on oh my gosh it's just even if you think about it you're on a, a boardwalk that's completely open the only place you would have to go is over the side or underneath it how could she not see it it's very bizarre um james blaming everything on babs prima donna prima donna what this is blamed on babs oh my gosh did Th- his, the root of his issues started way before that. And if Simone were following, I think what what Snyder had done with him initially this is not where the character would have gone Uh, and of course yes she was in fact following him but I, I don't think that's the spirit of the character I don't think that he could blame it all on Babs there's definitely something else there and why wouldn't he want to make Babs suffer rather than the mother like that didn't make sense at all that entire blurb that he said didn't make sense what does the mom have anything to do with this if it's all about Babs I mean, he's the one that threatened her with Alaska. Do you remember Alaska? He he was the one that got rid of her. So uh, th- inconsistency. If it's because of the mother, then keep it with the mother. If it's because of Babs, then I guess it's because of Babs. Even though it's just none of those work together to make the Snyder character uh, of James Gordon that we had seen before. So that's a fail. The mother's trap. This sort of dropped. The mom was the one to come up with this idea huh i don't recall that because james was the one to call her and said i'm looking at babs right now and if you don't meet me at such and such she's gonna die so that's wrong how does the mom know about batgirl's secret when did that go down hate off panel and hate 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 it And this is one of those big things. I mean, I complain about it from now till tomorrow. But there are certain things that probably should not be left in that void. And here's one of them. The backbreaking contrived. Yes, let's make them similar by having his back break. Number one, that wouldn't have happened. He would have flipped over and gone over. I I don't believe it at all. Number two, how does his back break? And then suddenly, suddenly that side rail is broken and he falls through. Doesn't make sense. No, I think it would have smashed through or he would have gone over. But anyways, let's make it seem like his back is broken so we can connect him and Babs together. Hmm. Yet another cop going after Batgirl, saying, I blame you, you did this. Great. Didn't we have that in issue one with McKenna? We just got over that, and now we've got this. And this one is her father. Are you joking? And the father going after her because potentially his son is dead? Really? As if he cared for his son. (sighs) And let me just say that james is not dead there's just no way i mean whenever somebody falls into the water you can basically presume that they are alive another question that i have for you guys as an audience definitely write in what do you think about batgirl using lethal force on her brother if we assume i mean she assumes that he is dead he's dead so she's a little naive in that because even batman knows they're not they're not gone forever so i mean she basically thinks like she killed him And this this bizarre, like, she's trying to talk herself out of it being cold-blooded murder, sort of like, this is, I mean, I try to save him, he's a bad guy, that kind of thing. So why did it take James for her to do it, rather than the Joker? Remember, she was the one threatening the Joker, this is going to end, this is going to end no matter what. But it's really James the one that she goes, lethal force. So, (laughs) contrived, forced, inconsistent... It's a bad issue. It's a bad issue. And it's the first one with Gail Simone back. And, uh, well, <laughs> and you wonder why I'm not enjoying backroll, where I didn't necessarily want Gail Simone back. So I'm giving this a 2 out of 10. Trying to be somewhat positive, not give it a 0 out of 10. I'm sure there is some, there's some sort of positive thing there. Um, can't really think of it right now. The art, the art was actually pretty good. So I will go with the art and we didn't have six different Inkers like we did in the last issue, so there's there's the two out of ten bats. Next up we have hopefully something better, Birds of Prey number nineteen, a cold day in L. A cold day in hell. Uh writer Chrissy Marks, pencil Romano Molinar, Inker Vicente Sefuentes with Julio Ferreira, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. The birds have one hour to send Strix to Mr. Freeze to the place where she was born, or else Starling dies. This is a problem, since even Batman doesn't know where the original lab was. Condor asks what the connection is between Freeze and the court, and Batgirl explains, thankfully for readers who aren't reading uh, or weren't reading the Court of the Owl stuff, that Freeze developed the formula for the owls to revive the frozen talons, but he thinks they ripped him off. But what does this have to do with Strix, since she is a renegade? Canary puts Condor in backup, which rubs him the wrong way, thinking that since he is the new guy, they must think he was the one to hack the phones. Donna explains that given his ability to fix his wings quickly after they were damaged, the amount of money he must have and his access to high-level tech, is he Tony Stark? It's logical. Backroll then jumps in, saying that she studies languages as a hobby, and he speaks Russian, but not as a first language. He does an impeccable job of a tough guy American accent, though. Uh, But in times of stress, his true accent comes out, American Indian. And in the middle of all this unnecessary business, Strix runs off. Condor takes an aerial view, and Batgirl tracks her across the rooftops, while Canary gets some gear together. Dinah wonders if she is being unfair to Condor, and compares this to her behavior towards her late husband, Kurt, when she first met him on Teen 7. Since her codename was Canary back then, she felt like she had to double her efforts, proving herself. So when Kurt compliments her after she takes him down in training, she doesn't take the compliment graciously. Later, she apologizes, and Kurt asks her out. Condor finds Strix and tells Batgirl to go to her, since she is obviously out of sorts. She's frightened and doesn't want to go back, but ends up agreeing to show them where to find the original lab. The team makes their way for a section of buildings that have been condemned to make way for Bruce Wayne's redevelopment project. Dinah's being carried by Condor, whom she still considers may have betrayed them, but likes it? After a fishnet joke, gotta of those, and a soft landing, they break into the lab, walking in on two owls doing some nefarious experimentations on a dead body, not Starling, and knowing nothing about anything that is going on. The owls threaten Strix, Canary comforts Strix by saying they're there, and Backrow suddenly realizes that this wasn't a meet with Freeze, but they led him there. As Freeze quickly appears, saying that since the talents he had in captivity didn't tell him where the lab was, so this was actually his best option. Freeze only wants what is his. A fight ensues. Strix is sealed in ice. Condor protects himself with his TK telekinesis canary gets the upper hand on freeze but freeze asks for help from an unlikely source starling has she gone to the other side no she's always been on freeze's side next betrayer and betrayed called it called it did i not say that starling could have been that gun-loving person who killed the talon that freeze had So yes, we are all shocked that she's betrayed the team, but the question is, how long is always? Is always since Night of the Owls? Is always since Starling started up with Amanda Waller? Is Waller involved in this? Is this a triple play assignment all for Waller? Hopefully we have a long overdue explanation next issue. Batgirl's speech about the languages and Condor is weird. I mean, what is the point of her saying that she's been studying him? He pretends to be American. He speaks Russian. He's actually Indian. Is this just the fact that he is hiding secrets? But of course, then after this long speech, nothing really changes. Everyone goes back to work like normal. So what did the speech accomplish besides wasting a page and making the team once again have trust issues? I, it seemed like a leap for me anyways, when, when Dinah said, you're going to stay back, and then Condor says, you don't trust me. I feel like that's not the obvious leap I would do. I mean, they should have someone standing back and, and helping out from HQ, but whatever. How did you like the the backflash sequence with Canary and Kurt? This seems like the first time it's been done in this way. Swarzynski mentioned several different moments of their history, but I don't think we really ever see it. Okay, we we get to see what they were first like, and Amanda Waller as well, which could be a lead into Starling's explanation if there is one in the next issue. But how does it really connect to Condor? She doesn't trust Condor, uh, but this is different from her trying to not be perceived as weak and being a shrew to Kurt. So this connection is tenuous at best. Why would Canary even consider being uh, carried by Condor in the first place. Um, If she doesn't trust him, why are you putting your life in somebody else's hands that you don't trust? It's like trust falls. Ah! And what does it mean that she likes it? Does that mean she enjoys flying or she enjoys Condor flying with her? If it's the latter, I cry party foul because I think it's really forced if she all of a sudden is developing feelings towards this teammate that has happened upon the team and may have betrayed them. And you probably shouldn't date someone on your team anyway. That would not end well. Plus, she's not really over her dead husband, it seems. Just bad in all the right places. Or bad in all the wrong places. Who knows? I'm surprised, like Batgirl is, at Strix being afraid of the lab. I'm trying to decide if it's believable or not. Yes, this is where she could potentially be put down for good. But weren't Talon's bred to be fearless? But, you know, I suppose that's why Mary is so different because she is not a cut-and-dry Talon like the rest. I like that the birds were played by Freeze, actually leading him to the lab. It was well played by Freeze, and while I also thought something was up, I didn't totally expect what had happened uh, like the birds. I think the team falling for this trap shows that they're still green, um, or at least they have that color because they have these new members and really haven't mixed well yet. And that there are some trust issues that, that don't have the birds thinking clearly. But have they ever been rid of their trust issues? Who knows? To be honest, there's not a lot to say about this issue besides what I have already. The big thing that happened was really the betrayal. And I, I'm just ready to hear the explanation in next issue rather than dwelling on this issue. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't really good. It was just okay. So, seven out of ten birds. Next up, we have Babs in the Tube. <coughs> Thank you. Segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, I am watching the 1966 Batman TV series, and I am wrapping it up. It's getting close. And Jacob, you will be excited to know that this is the one you've been waiting for. (laughs) Uh, This is episode 118, season three, episode 24, "The Joker's Flying Saucer." It aired February 29th, 1968, a day that will forever remain in Wilton history. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and of course, Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl uh cesar romero as joker byron keith as Marilyn Seed, some woman ellen corby as mrs green whoever that is uh corinne calvet as emerald richard becalian as Verdigree, jeff burton as shamrock tony gardner as chartreuse and fritz feld as professor greenleaf The Joker and his men, Verdigris, Shamrock, and Chartreuse, and his mole, Emerald, create a flying saucer scare in Gotham City in order to prepare the people for his latest scheme, to build an actual flying saucer with the plans he obtained from a mad scientist cellmate and use it to take over the world. Isn't that John? While the Caped Crusader and the Boy Wonder visit with Gordon, who was swamped with phone calls by concerned and frightened Gothamites, Verdigris, dressed as a little green man from Mars, plants a little green time bomb inside the Batmobile, set to detonate at midnight. The dynamic duo speed back to the Batcave to use the current Criminal Activity Bat Disclosure Unit, and they discover the Joker's plan to build a flying saucer, but first he must obtain a source of lightweight metal. The Batman then remembers a supply of beryllium currently stored at the Wayne Foundation Metal Research Wing and sends Alfred Pennyworth to keep an eye on it. As Batman and Robin prepare to join their butler, Midnight arrives. The bomb goes off and wrecks the entire Batcave! Meanwhile, the Harlequin of homicidal humor and his henchmen raid the Wayne Foundation and, mistaking Alf for a mad scientist, spirit him back to their hideout to browbeat him into building the fiendish flying saucer. Eight hours later... In the battered bat cave, Batman and Robin survive the effects of the bomb, protected by their anti-thermal bat t-shirts. And finally wake up. Finding the fallout has broken every receiving device and knocked all the phones off the hooks. They make some quick repairs and try to contact Alfred, who has since completed the flying saucer. Then they rev up the bat cycle, speed to Gotham Airport, switch to the bat copter, and take off in search of the saucer. Back at the Joker's hideout at the abandoned launching pad factory on Flying Circus Hill, Batgirl, who followed Joker from the Wayne Foundation and was also captured, along with Alfred, is about to be launched into orbit by the criminal comedian. But she foils his scheme by activating her automatic fuse extinguisher in her utility belt. An incensed Joker immediately has the caped crusaders and Alfred taken aboard the saucer, and they all take off and head for space. Alfred finally reaches a dynamic duo, which is kept distant pursuit in the Batcopter, on his tiny intercosmic two-way thermophone hidden inside his handkerchief and informs them that he cleverly placed some homing beryllium in the saucer, which will force it to return to the factory. As Joker begins his ultimatum from outer space, his saucer is automatically pulled back to the factory, where a waiting Batman and Robin proceed to put the fiendish Funny Man and his flunkies into orbit. Meanwhile, in Spiffany's jewelry store, Cassandra Spellcraft, alias Dr. Cassandra, and her husband, Kabbalah, take camouflage pills and advance on the fabulous Mope Diamond. Sorry there wasn't a lot of, uh, Granny Walton in there, (laughs) i i I will say i guess i'll leave her towards the end of course but you gotta love the green theme especially with the names like chartreuse uh in architecture school that was a color that was beloved by a couple of the studio critics so if you're ever doing a section cut it'd probably be great to color those um where you cut everything where you're cutting through you gotta color it in dark so you know where you're cutting if you colored it in it'd be great with this neon uh green color chartreuse okay babs screaming at the little green man in the library oh my word i'm pretty sure babs would actually just be slightly freaked out but then come up with some plan of action and beat him i mean he's just like throwing books around and then she tells her father she barely got out alive it's it's a tad bit ridiculous how did the Green Man get into the Batmobile? Shouldn't there be better security? I call foul there. The explosion of the Batmobile was a bit bizarre and unbelievable. <laughs> Why aren't Batman and Robin both dead? If it like was taking down beams in the Batcave. And I was totally right when I talked to Michael Bailey about it. the crotch shot. If you remember that, I was like, why was there that focus? So it was when Batman and Robin were in the car putting on their seatbelts. And I, I don't know why, but it's like, Shh, we put on our seatbelts, there's this focus. Maybe it's just so everyone sees how safety conscious they are. Um, that was their public service announcement. But let's not forget Grandma Walton making a guest appearance as Mrs. Green. And it, it was short- she did her job, of course, she was in league with Joker, so shame on you, blasphemy, blasphemy, but she is certainly more congenial here than on the Waltons, so I don't know why she has such a bad attitude uh, on the Waltons, whereas she's so nice here. Well, that's it for that one, we only have a couple left, I feel like two maybe, mm-hmm. And then we get to move on. Who knows where it will take us next. Hey, something I forgot last time. Shipper spotlight. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. L- l- let me tell you about shippers. He, he, he talking. Get over get get over your own shipping bullshit.
0: Shipper.
1: I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers.
0: Stop talking about that.
1: Ship, ship Shippers. I love shippers. Dick and bats. Dick 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 and bats. Batman and Cat Catwoman.
0: There we go, for the shippers, Batman's marinary to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien, Seth, Seth,
1: Stephanie. Shippers, I'll kill him. Dick and bats. If you recall from months and months ago, Shipper Spotlight is that segment, that short, speedy segment where I pick a couple, give its first hint of romance, its history, and then I say, hey, is it hot or is it not? And I've decided to do Ray Palmer and Jean Loring. This first hint of romance uh, happened in showcase number 34. So Ray Palmer, he's a graduate student, he's a teacher, and he's a research physicist. He's testing out his latest experiment to shrink matter and then Lady Lawyer Jean Loring bursts in and Ray takes the opportunity to ask her to marry him once more but she puts him off and of course this just sets the pattern of things to come. So Jean, gotta talk about her a little bit, Jean encountered the Adam who often helped in her cases many times and helped I think should be in quotation marks before learning that he and Ray were actually the same person. In Adam and Hawkman number 45, Jean was ad- abducted and driven insane by the subatomic Jim Barron race. And now although Quickly freed from the Jim Baron by the Adam and Hawkman, Jean remained insane until Justice League of America number eighty one, when she was cured by the equally insane alien jestmaster. After Jean was kidnapped by T. O. Morrow, Ray went into an interdimensional search to retrieve her, asking for help from Flash, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, and this event would direly affect Jean, but it would also lead to their marriage. Now, for a few short years, they were happy, but then Ray's adventurous life began taking its toll on their marriage, especially after he revealed his alter ego to Jean. Jean drifted into an affair out of loneliness, and at this time, Adam discovered a subatomic world in the Amazon, and he falls in love with a woman named Lathwin. He divorced his wife, Jean, and lived in this subatomic world for a time, uh, but soon enough, Ray missed his old world and actually returned to it. Now, get this. Wanting to resume her relationship with Ray, she comes to believe, Jean, that is, she comes to believe that the surest way to do this would be to endanger another loved one of a hero, sending all of the superheroes running back to their spouses and other relatives, including Ray. So, using one of Ray's old costumes, she shrinks herself, enters the brain of Sue Dibney which happens to be the elongated man's wife. Now, she attempts to cause a minor stroke. Who knows if there's anything minor about a stroke. But she accidentally applies too much pressure to Dibney's brain, killing her. So, panicking, unwilling to go to jail, she uses a flamethrower to badly burn Sue's body, and then she departs. Unbeknownst to even Sue's husband, Ralph, uh, Sue had been pregnant. So, yay so hey man let's wrap this up warren had a history of mental illness how many times did i say insane at least three. Whether it was her fault or not. And as the Adam, Palmer had a habit of inserting himself into Lauren's cases, either assisting her or setting her up for one hell of a breach of ethics cases uh, depending on how you look at it. So hot or not, should these two kooky kids be together? No. Not. Not at all. Uh, remember, we're back. We're back with this. I'm sorry I forgot last time, but if you have any suggestions that you want to do, please write me backworldoracle at and and I will do my best to research that coupling and uh, give you a thorough examination and say, hot or not. Uh, my final segment is literature recommendation. And, of course, now you know that I've switched gears and I'm starting to read books again. Oh, uh, it's just weird. It's I, I'll go f- these like huge spells where I'm only reading books and not many graphic novels, if any, and then maybe San Diego will happen, and then I'll s- switch and go back. The Game of Thrones by George R R Martin. Now, if you watch the show, it's actually very uh well, I am told that it is um, quite faithful to the book. I there's definitely not as much sex in the book though compared to what I've heard of the show and the nudity and stuff. Though there you know, there's some some brief content. Um but man, I loved it. I thought it was great kind of tough to explain but i'd say the main family are the starks um and there are several children there and then you've got the main king and and he's actually good friends with the the father of of the stark family but there's just a lot of intrigue going on and the thought is this game of thrones is that trying to be the king and you either play the Game of Thrones or you die. And uh, there's just a lot of, I, I, I would say, political intrigue. But I, I love the characters. And I'd say my favorite probably, I like Jon Snow. And Arya Stark. And Daenerys, or Danny Targaryen. <laughs> the, kind of the names are weird and I haven't watched the show so I don't know how to pronounce them. But those are probably my, my three favorite characters. But... It's slower in the beginning. I mean, it's it's 800 pages, people, so be prepared. But it's slower in the beginning, but even in you know the slow parts, I loved it because that's really where you get to the, the character development and learn about them. But the thing about uh, this book is that, man, you are thrown characters right off the bat. But there's sort of a, an index where you can look up... Who belongs to what house so that is helpful but just you got to keep track of all of the characters and what is going on but intrigue intrigue Um, so I definitely I recommend it I would probably say maybe I it's not as I think graphic sexually graphic anyways as the um of the dragon tattoo so I guess you could be a little younger than 17 if I were to make my recommendation, maybe 16, 15 to 16 to do it. But I mean, there there's some language. It's actually PG-13 language, I would say. But So I mean, more more mature people to read it, but oh man, it, it was wonderful. And I thank one of my students who actually lent it to me, so I hope to read the next one soon and i i devoured that book and actually what's funny is i thought it was going to be a really tough read uh, but i was interested in reading it because my friend kevin said that um well he knows me well so i asked do you think i'd be turned off by all the nudity in the show because i thought this show i think i'm kind of interested and he said i think you'll be turned off by all the nudity and the violence and the and he sort of went on so i decided well I, i'll read the book then and m- one of my friends Who works at a library uh, reads really quickly and apparently she just she has to read books in one sitting she can't and I convinced her just don't do it just read like 100 pages at a time so we're going to do this and and keep each other honest and and give each other I guess the encouragement that we'd need to go through here and I finish in three weeks we all started May 1st by the way and well I started a little before I cheated just because I thought that she'd be really in front of me uh, she is still on the first 100, so I don't know if she's gonna make it. Yeah, all that to say, I definitely recommend it, and I don't know. The characters are just great, and and what goes on, and it it really is about love and and duty, love for your family, and duty, and and what the idea of honor is, and there are some things that happen that are whacked out. I have to say, like a six year old nursing, no, that should not happen just deaths that you would not expect like main characters being killed i won't say whom man if you're willing to give it a shot i definitely i think it'd be good well remember to send any questions or comments to backworld.oracle.com remember if you're if you want to be a co-host for an episode or if you are of the lgbt community and you have comments that you'd like to share about you know alicia's reveal then please send them my way once again thanks to mile high comics for sponsoring backworld oracle the barbara gordon podcast thanks also to tv.com for the episode summary the joker's flying saucer Uh, be sure to tell your friends and family to subscribe to the new itunes feed that'd be wonderful and see some good movies if your wallet can't handle it try to get wait until the uh the dollar theater happens because those always work we have one now we have a 50 theater which is very exciting so i can see movie i'm fine with waiting for movies maybe not superhero movies because i like to see them first day but other movies i'm definitely cool with that well i think that's all i have for you i hope you have an enjoyable rest of the may stay safe on memorial day and enjoy yourselves and until next time